Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Bravo Outsider Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Midwinter, and with me as always is my co-host, Dylan Ferguson. Dylan, how's it going? Episode 12 already? Wow, yeah, doing great. Yeah, Gonna crazy. crack open a, a Guinness with you guys here. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Slovakia. <laughs> you know i like to get those thematic drinks in this was a, yeah. this was a dangerous one in my backpack I, I was considering trying to um replicate what katie's hair of the dog hangover drink was which appeared to be white claw and tito's yeah yeah i, mean, I thought it was white been too horrible i too thought it was white claw and kool-aid i was not sure about i thought that, there was a tito's bottle that she was working <laughs> there, but i might be wrong about that Pretty I, sure I, I, a bottle of tito's yeah <laughs> i understand why gordo was judging her for that i think yeah. i think even lala was judging her for that you know when you're getting judged by somebody who walked in wearing an axel rose halloween costume you've made up a bad choice <laughs> i like how she like immediately had to clarify like i never do this and lala's like yeah you never do this <laughs> <laughs> let the record state <laughs> yeah. uh each week we bring on a guest who doesn't follow bravo make them watch the shows and then get their takes this week we're pleased to have joining us sean o'rourke ever dance with the booger wolf in the pale moonlight awesome well sean you aren't exactly a complete bravo noob like some of our past guests you've actually watched some housewives before uh a long time ago your fandom has kind of been mostly dormant is that right yeah uh i had my phase like 10 years ago and i was a big orange county and a little bit of new york guy and oh, yeah. a little bit of that early, I think, first season, Beverly Hills. Um, oh, yeah. From which I only remember a scene of Kelsey Grammer's ex-wife describing his body hair. <laughs> <laughs> but since then, nothing. Camille, the legend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you hadn't really watched any of Jersey or uh, Vanderpump Rules before then, right? No. I, knew, I, mean, I recognize uh, Teresa and... I want to say Melissa on Jersey. I'd maybe seen a little bit of it. And then Vanderpump okay, yeah. Rules, I only know um, Lisa. Mm. Um, have you noticed like any way that like the Bravo content has evolved since, you know, 10 years ago when you watched? Um, it feels very similar to me, but I've aged. So now it just like yeah. Vanderpump Rules <laughs> just seems very exhausting to me. <laughs> yeah that's that's a good point yeah just watching them like and i mean some of the people on vanderpump rules are older than me and the fact that they're able to just go out and like go so hard yeah don't um, they mention that tom schultz is like 40 or something yeah <laughs> yeah schwartz and sandoval are like in their 40s i believe yeah that's that seems unsustainable it's a heroic effort yeah, <laughs> yeah. the real casualties are your sperm after that <laughs> gotta look out for that mythology. Uh, use the term jizz <laughs> sorry yeah i'm not up on the technical jargon <laughs> havoc on your jizz results yeah <laughs> um 
I want to try something a little bit new that we haven't done before, before we get into the highlights here, um, at least for the next couple of weeks. Um, I want to kick things off with like a quick roundtable discussion about a topic and sort of how it relates to reality TV. Um, this week, I wanted to start with the term guilty pleasure, which is a term that I've heard people, both people that watch reality TV and people who don't use to describe it. Um, so just to kind of give my thoughts before opening up the floor, uh, and like, feel free to like disagree with me here, but I really like kind of hate hearing that term used to describe shows like Real Housewives and, and Vanderpump Rules. Like, yeah. um, I feel like, uh, I don't necessarily hate that term itself, but when you apply it to shows like Real Housewives and, and Vanderpump Rules, it just feels like steeped in in misogyny um like i i think mm-hmm. um i i don't think that people that use it necessarily are like being intentionally like misogynist but um it, i think it comes from this like societal tendency to be dismissive of any like femme coded content and like um just kind of like make it seem like it's less worthy of serious consideration in mm-hmm. comparison to like male targeted content um you know which um which kind of like reinforces the double standard would within entertainment um because like the language that we use regarding reality tv is drastically different or the language we use regarding you know femme coded content is drastically different than how people talk about like comic book movies or 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 sports um sean dylan uh, your thoughts on that or um or the term in general well i always want to say that like i shouldn't take any any guilt and pleasure but there's like a deep-seated part of the part of me that was raised catholic that can't separate the terms but i think it mostly (laughs) boils down to like aesthetic judgments and moral ones and like those often I don't conflate. Like I don't see why you would put a moral judgment into watching um, Real Housewives or Vanderpump Rules or anything else. It's only when you get into like I don't know if like if I were uh, like signing up for Roman Polanski's Patreon or something, then maybe there's like a way that those <laughs> conflate. But yeah, I don't know. It just it doesn't make sense to me to feel guilt in in taking in something you're enjoying um but it does seem really more directed at like you say femme code and stuff like because this is for example this is exactly the same as professional wrestling which i love yeah uh, and that gets you know, people may think it's a little silly but i feel like it does not at all get the same um the same kind of aspersions cast on it yeah I, I, yeah Oh yeah, no, I, um, I, I agree. Like, I, I, I feel like I mostly agree that you, you know, you shouldn't take, be feel guilty about something that you take pleasure in. But at the same time, like, guilty pleasure is like a term that I would apply to, you know, the my love of Hallmark movies, which is something that I like also really enjoy at, at Christmas time watching these Hallmark movies. But I do consider that more of a uh, of a guilty pleasure, and like not because those are also like kind of like femme coded, but um, I feel like when you're watching something like Real Housewives, I I just think like 
the way that it's framed for the audience expects a lot more like critical thinking. Like there's, I, I feel guilty about enjoying Hallmark movies because I think that, um, it places forward values that are, um, like dated and like wrong and mm. like, just like overall, just like needs updating and just kind of icky. Um, and that's not to say that housewives doesn't also do that, but I think that the way that it's framed for the audience is different. There's like this expectation that the audience is, you know, thinking about these things critically and, um, uh, you know, because you are constantly reevaluating like the positions of the the players within within Housewives, I think you are thinking you know a bit more broadly and more like um, like a more worldly sense about like you know it's like oh okay this person is saying like Ramona is saying whatever Ramona Singer is saying this week, which is obviously going to just be so like backwards and, and and dated but like you've got that that sense you are like you're operating critically as you're consuming it whereas you know hallmark movies you're not you're supposed to just be like like feed in the the warm fuzzies and you know uh don't calories. think too critically yeah exactly Right. But then you're also talking about like how you're expected to watch something versus how you're actually watching it. And I feel like the way that you are watching it is probably a little bit different than than what you're describing as the expectation. And I think that's part of the reason why for me, like you guys, I don't I don't like the the term guilty pleasures at all. If somebody wants to use it to for like to describe the warm fuzzies they have curling up on the couch with a tub of hag and does watching their shows or whatever, like awesome, like you do you. But the the term for me is something that I, that I, that I buck Ash, that I, that I, you know, I buck and whinny like a scared horse. It, it, it's like <laughs> that, that in the same category as calling something entertainment, not art or calling something a movie, not a film, you know, any attempt to just, yeah, to just pull out the, the velvet ropes and, uh, and try to cordon off some art as like, you know, the acceptable, respectable bit and others as the disreputable ones is just always in, to me, I have that uh, reaction of it being just kind of antithetical to the whole project and just very rooted in that, uh, the bourgeois product a project of trying to uh, turn your artistic taste into um, class signifiers, uh, treating the kind of art that you choose to uh, engage with the same way you would treat like the clothes you wear or like this Ames chair I bought or whatever, you know, that's fine for furniture and your haircuts and what color you paint your door. Like those things are kind of for that. But I just think that you should be, interacting with art in a different way because it's it's serving a different purpose and i uh, i when i'm going and sitting in front of a screen and like a content hog and just you know getting my fix i'm i don't really have a trouble trouble turning off the inner sensor or whatever uh is uh whatever is making me see myself as a subject in like the social sphere. Like, uh, you know, I'm as, as subject to super ego pressures as the next motherfucker, but, <laughs> um, I don't have a trouble like turning that off when I watch art and maybe I'd have to thank like my brain chemistry for that or something. Uh, but 
I get that some people will like struggle with that. That it can be a thing that's maybe easier said than done. Uh, but I, I think it's something that's worth trying to do. And what bugs me is when people, instead of uh, trying to buck whatever internalized sensor they have in their head, telling them what you should or should not do because it's a signifier of your class aspirations or like what is should be considered correct or not, when you're not only not trying to turn that off, but are embracing it is something that I'm not really okay with because it just seems to be against the whole idea of art, which you should be going into, I think, as something that will expand your horizons and as something that you can allow to try to um, let you think about the world in a way that doesn't have you as a subject deeply invested into it. Not saying that it's not like involving yourself in like a social project by engaging with art. But uh, if you, if you, you turn off the, the super ego pressure, you are sorry about the Freudian turns. I didn't mean to come on your show and start talking like Slavo Zizek or something. <laughs> in the Vanderpump rules, the dog Gordo is super ego. Watch. Okay. <laughs> and so on. Uh, but I just think if you're from the bat, letting that inner sensor decide whether or not you're even allowing yourself to watch something or allowing it yourself to watch it with an open mind, instead of feeling like you have to force your perspective into um, the, the means of watching it that you're told is the only way you're allowed to watch it. Like I'm only, only allowed to watch this on the surface. I'm only allowed to yeah. be entertained as people say, uh, because I've been told that's all that this is good for. If you're already setting up those barriers for yourself, well, you're missing an opportunity to maybe rewire the way you think and to maybe engage with a fuller range of artistic experience. And I get that there's a little high associated too with, you know, strapping on the rough collar and being the the, the Puritan censorous critic uh, and, you know, getting to decide what's good and what's, what's right and what's not. But I don't think you're gaining anything by that. And you are potentially amputating uh, artistic experiences that could be really nourishing if you allowed yourself to. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I like I wonder if there is like a discrepancy between, you know, people who when they're discussing this, like their fandom of, of Bravo shows and use the term guilty pleasure, whether they actually like internally consider it a guilty pleasure or if that's just, you know, how they label it when they, they yeah. talk about it. And, um, you know, I think I've probably have to acknowledge a little bit of privilege as someone who, you know, identifies as a straight male. Um, I don't really have to worry about entering into any like conversation and, you know, articulating my love for Bravo as I often do and worry about, you know, whether or not my, you know, my peers in the workplace are going to continue to take me seriously. I feel like there's, um, you know, a, probably a lot of women you know, do have to be a lot more guarded, especially in like male dominated fields. So mm -hmm. I do expect that there is, you know, a discrepancy between the way that people talk about it and the way they actually consume the art. Yeah, almost like mm. the phrase guilty pleasure can be sort of an insulation from criticism of like crappy dudes. Yeah. 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 Just like, yeah. Insulation from criticism in, in general, I think. And, you know, um, 
I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, you have to do what you have to do in order to like get by based on the, you know, the, the circumstances that you are in, you're in. So I don't think that anyone is, you know, um, propping up the patriarchy by like discussing reality TV as, as a guilty pleasure. But I do think, you know, as, um, and one of the things that I want to, you know, do with this podcast is enable people that do have that privilege to speak more openly about, you know, the artistic and cultural merit of these shows so that, um, so that, people's minds hopefully open to the validity of this programming and not be so dismissive of it. And um, yeah, that's, that's all my thoughts on, on the term guilty pleasure. Uh, Did you guys have any final thoughts before we move on to Vanderpump rules highlights? Uh, Maybe just in terms of like artistic merit of stuff like this. um, I think I only feel guilty if I'm engaging with art content, whatever talkies, um, if I feel like I've wasted my time and I don't get that at all with real housewives or Vanderpump rules, because there's quite a lot to chew on, like in terms of editing and how they're like, how they're shooting it, technical stuff. And then in terms of how they, how they're constructing these narratives and how that kind of can flow between reality and, you know, producer input or scripting and that. So it's a very like mentally engaging watch, you know, it doesn't feel yeah. like TV candy to me. Yeah, I think it's it's obviously like very like stimulating which doesn't necessarily make something like great art in itself but um I think like it is a a medium that doesn't get the credit that it deserves because like there are roles within production that I think don't like um don't really shine as much from a storytelling perspective in other forms of art, like, or other forms of, you know, um, like movies or, you know, your standard narrative television. I don't think you see the hands of a producer as strongly. I don't think you see the hands of an editor as strongly from a like storytelling point of view. Um, but with reality TV and like these Bravo shows specifically, you, very clearly see it and like mm-hmm. you see how much like nuance it takes and um how like how i how skilled like of a uh, of a craftsperson it it takes in order to be effective with this type of of canza- canvas yeah totally i have so many questions about the technical process by the way or the production process when we get into those <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's let's talk Vanderpump Rules. Uh this was a great fantastic episode in in it my was. opinion. Um Sean, do you want to give your sort of first impressions of the cast of Vanderpump Rules? Uh yeah, um I did have to watch this twice to like really get a sense of everybody. Um I feel like James needs to, uh, to separate your satchels from your Schwartz's. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, I feel like does satchel like say stuff in other episodes. Uh, Cause he, in this one, he doesn't, sort of he doesn't there. blink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of like nominative determinism. He's just a bag on a chair. 
he was just introduced at the tail end of the last episode so he still okay. hasn't right. had a line in either of episodes right? okay st- we still haven't heard his voice i don't think um, he's like a new boyfriend yeah i'm not sure if we have yeah. okay i don't think yeah, so. um i feel like james is possibly a genius um yes like i <laughs> mark like one car- up <laughs> james is a, is a he's a cartoon character <laughs> like become flesh and i don't know if <laughs> yeah. like he, he's just a genius for the medium or if some producer is brilliantly exploiting a, a, a clear personality disorder um i don't <laughs> I, I know i'm not trying to be like ableist or anything here but um there's like there's there's something being pushed there um, yeah, so there I, is I somebody, think somebody who really thinks James is a genius is James, <laughs> <laughs> and me. I, you know what? I think I think he's like excellent. He's like, you know, a, he's Jack two point Like I think like Wait, um, Jacks from Jack. No, Jacks from like early seasons of Vanderpump okay. Rules, who was like the uh, self described number one guy in the group, and he um, <laughs> he was like. You know, just a very, like, awful person that was very, um, very interesting to watch on TV. But, like, James has these, like, likable moments that, like, kind of, like, pop through. Like, he's he's way fu- he's way funnier. <laughs> I <laughs> haven't, and I've watched 10 that. seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's way funnier than, than Jax. And I think, like... Um, I think with with Jax, like he would lash out, but he was very good at like um, you know shielding the emotional vulnerability that was like causing that sort of lash out. James is not as good a, at that, and I think it kind of like it endears him to me a little bit. Like you can kind of see the humanity underneath him. So um, like. Even though, yes, he's, like, terrible and, like, toxic and abusive, that doesn't disqualify him from being, like, likable to me as a reality character. And I think he's, like, I think he's super funny. His, like, I think he's got really good, like, one-liners that come from a very, like, distinct voice. Like, he's got a very distinct voice in confessionals and when he, like, talks where, you know, if he if he quips in the confessional booth, it doesn't sound like it's fed to him from a producer. It just like is him fired up and like on a roll and just like I don't know. He's got kind of a natural funniness to him that I really appreciate. It's kind of like the ideal reality TV subject. Yeah, I I think so. He would like again with the wrestling. He would have been a such a good like cowardly heel if he had gone another path and that's exactly what he is at least in from what i've seen of this episode of vanderpump yeah, yeah. i like james I th- I, well i like james i think he's very good on the show yeah um, <laughs> the two toms both seem like sandoval seems they both seem like they'd be in a band that i would go see and hate and sandoval would be the singer <laughs> and Schultz to be the drummer oh my god you, you've got well, have i got news for you <laughs> <laughs> i mean oh, not no. the drummer part but yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can I you can go band. and check out <laughs> you can tom sandoval is yeah yeah sandoval. tom sandoval in the most extras and it's like this like cover band basically um yeah. 
And he you, he had a band before that. What were they called? The band that that uh, that did the Let's Touch in oh, Public song. Uh, Charles McMansion, <laughs> <laughs> right? With, with a guy who became like one of the QAnon leaders afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be pulling that up on Bandcamp later. <laughs> um, yeah, I did find there's one thing about uh, Schultz I find very relatable is after that intense moment that he has with Lala, um, it just cuts to him like just him at the table with like two pounds of wings and two pasta dishes, and, like a brioche bun burger and a margarita pizza. He's just like sitting there eating wings, <laughs> angrily eating wings. Yeah. It's great. His face is almost the same color as like the fluorescent wing he's eating. He's just, I've never seen Schwartz that rattled. He was like, he was so pissed off. Oh my God. Yeah. It's really fun to try to piece together, like just without any context while like where do all these conflicts come from the best i can figure is that every possible at least heterosexual coupling in that group has happened and everyone's just salty about it yeah well a lot of the permutations and one thing that like i think makes it especially um especially interesting right now how like uh tumultuous it is is the fact that like uh, Tom Schwartz and Katie, they were together for like 12 years and Tom Sandoval and Ariana were together for like nine or something like that. Um, but yeah, there has been a lot of, you know, spit swapping amongst them. Making <laughs> out is like kind of the, the word of the season. And, um, yeah, there's been at least that between a lot of the members of, of this group. Yeah, yeah, plus James did literally spit on Lala in one episode, too. So, yeah, it's been that kind of spit swapping as well. <laughs> uh, my other, like, my main question is what is, like, what is Lisa's role in this? Because in this episode, anyway, it seems like it's like a mafia movie and she's like the Paul Sorvino type where the characters go to sort of sort their problems out and then she's only mm-hmm. in like a scene and disappears. I would say, like, it's mostly, like, exposition at this point. Mm -hmm. In the past, she held, like, she was the boss of the restaurant that they all worked at for, like, the first, like, five or six seasons. They were, you know, bartenders and and waitresses. and Yeah, exactly. That was the original concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so the idea behind the show was just following the drama of all the servers and bartenders, you know, hooking up and stuff like that. But they like just found this super magnetic cast like right out of the gate. And so they every time they tried to like bring in the new server staff, the um, they uh, they just like kind of like faltered because everyone was still very engaged in the storylines of this original cast. So that's why, you know, season 10, we still have the, the OGs of Vanderpump rules. It's, it's probably got the most OGs of any Bravo franchise. Okay, yeah. for, so there's you know, like, what's long. the churn like on this kind of stuff? Cause like, in, like <clears throat> um, New Jersey, for example, I think I recognize like two or three people. Yeah. Okay. Well, Guess guess who's an original cast member for Vanderpump? I mean, yeah. well, they they do flash back, so you see like baby baby Sandoval. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, there's that. They flash back. I really love that scene. They flash back to like an argument he's having with, I guess, an oh, ex. It's sassy, and she's talking about like you know you yeah. made out with her at the 
golden corral of all places. The golden nugget. Yeah. Golden <laughs> nugget. And he just goes, I love the golden nugget. <laughs> so good. <laughs> See, that, that was the golden era right there. I love yeah. that flashback to, to golden era Vanderpump rules because that, that like 10 second clip is better than entire seasons of TV shows. It's, <laughs> that, that just, I warmed my heart to see that again. Bring her back. <laughs> we need Stassi yeah. back on the show. <laughs> General amnesty. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to become like one of those like return to tradition guys, but just for, like, bringing, bringing Stasi back on Vanderpump rules. We'll just go on like, yeah, just go in like Facebook groups and post like pictures of Stasi with a caption like, wow, really weird how nobody had like anxiety or COVID when she was on TV. <laughs> Get a marble statue of Stassi profile picture. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Sandoval's got to be original. Um, I guess if like probably Katie and Schultz, I would assume Schwartz. Yeah, Schwartz. Sorry, um, James. I hope has been around a long time. So I think James arrived like season three. Okay, I think yeah, season three. Yeah, the rest so. it's like well actually know. you know what um i don't know why i know this but he did appear as like a in the background of a photo shoot that happens in like season one of vanderpump rules so not main cast but technically he's been there but him trying to get in <laughs> um yeah i don't know those ones stand out to me just because like there's flashbacks and there's there seems to be so much history. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I assume Lala's I think, been around I think for he, a while. Yeah, so I think James and Lala or James came like season three and Lala came season four. But yeah, so this is a like a very mature like core cast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, did you have like any highlights? Uh, in terms of like scenes or anything that comes to mind that really stood out to you from this episode? Um, well, again, like I love uh, Tom with his big table of food. Um, <laughs> I, I have a lot of like little things that stand out to me. Like I love that how careful James is making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It was like multiple paper <laughs> towels and just like really getting to the corner of the bread. <laughs> um, and I'm just, I, I'm wondering on the background, like, how much of this is, hey, we need some B-roll. Can you yeah. make these sandwiches for a while while we get while we set up for shot reverse shot or something? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a classic is... It's a classic thing to have like a discussion in an apartment and have somebody do something in the kitchen while they're talking. Just so yeah, mm-hmm. you have that. You have B-roll, you have them active engaged in something, whether they're mixing drinks or they're assembling a sandwich. But I also found it really hilarious that it's like PB and J's and he's like seems to be weirdly careful about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hangover breakfast gonna do pbj's <laughs> really getting in there um i love beach day um oh yeah i really like is it uh who's the i, I take it he's australian like the beefcake bray or something yeah or yeah brock. Uh, brock yeah brock. of course yeah brock, brock. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i really like that seems like a little bit of um the editors kind of having fun with them there. Like when it cut, they change the aspect ratio and the color grading when they start playing. And then it just cuts <laughs> to like James taking the football right in the face. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, and that whole sequence stands out. Cause I feel like, um, 
let's say James is really good at this, and his girlfriend uh, is it Allie? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, also really quite good or someone's telling her to be quite good at driving the drum like after he throws the drink at one of the toms and she walks off and comes back um i think i went back and watched that scene several times like to me that's drama yeah. yeah i loved i loved in that scene the alliance that was immediately like struck between charlie and Allie. like she, charlie just seems like such a, a great friend and they had just met, but immediately, like, I don't know, they, they kind of bonded. And maybe it was because, like, they're in their 20s and, you know, everyone else is in their 40s or <laughs> approaching 40s. Okay. But, um, yeah, still, I, I really enjoyed that they, like, were immediately kind of, like, magnetic. And Charlie has, this season at least, been kind of the the main ally of Raquel maybe not the main ally but she has been like very like team Raquel and like propping propping her up um so to see her also you know strike up a friendship with um James's current partner who you know James was previously uh engaged to Raquel right um Rachella just (laughs) Rachella yeah (laughs) it just like I don't know it it really endeared me more to Charlie than I already like was like she's a very likable reality tv character and I like that doesn't necessarily mean she's a very like good person to be on reality tv um but she is like very likable what I loved about that, though, is that Charlie was clearly, like, loving the drama and loving the fact that James threw a drink. And, like, you see her her reaction right when it happens. Huge grin breaks over her face, and she does, like, a pearl-clutching, like, gesture, like, grabbing at her throat, like, oh, yeah, here we go. And I love how when she, she realizes that Allie's, like, pissed off that James is, is acting out this way, she takes Allie's side, and she's, like, forcing herself to be like, yeah, that was not cool, while also clearly being like, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> the drink throw is just like such an iconic, like oh, yeah. Bravo move. So, you know, if you got to witness that in person, I, I would be so stoked. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Is there like a, is there a long history of Bravo drink throws? Um, especially on Vanderpump rules, but yes, okay. there, there definitely is like on, pretty much every franchise there have been uh, drink throws that have driven various plots forward quite, quite a bit, but to see Tom Schwartz get it, this is the first time he's actually been the recipient of it. But in the first like two seasons of Vanderpump rules, he tossed a drink on Stasi and he also like poured a drink over Katie's head. So he was due. So it was, was nice to see (laughs) it like season 10. (laughs) Another great reaction. And I mean, the immediate aftermath of the drink thrower, most people are just like, Oh, how are we going to react? Is he just stare Lala say, this is so fun fun yeah. <laughs> <was great>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my other note on that is uh much like satchel do we know anything about the dawn so there's that thing in the beat uh, scene where lala yeah. just goes let's go the dawn 
<laughs> yeah, let's go with the Don using the, the Don. definitive article. <laughs> oh, and how how awesome is it that the Don? Also, you're right. He's like Satchel. He, he like he's just showed up as a romantic interest. Like, he has had like lots of lines in the one a- other episode that he was in. Yeah, okay. he showed up as like a really like corny, sexy dude, like just like making innuendos, uh, and was just like he showed up as like the guy who who like at, let uh, that Lala got to like break her, her streak with like she hadn't slept with somebody for a while but uh, you know still hanging around even though we don't get any lines of dialogue here still thought it was a very strong presence for him to show up at the beach not just wearing socks but prominently wearing socks <laughs> the man is like a hundred percent confidence I love him he's great <laughs> okay but like okay this raised more questions for me because Originally, I thought, like, oh, he's, like, the Don, like, he's the godfather. But the way they were talking about him this episode, it was, like, his name is actually Don. Like, yeah. it's, like, the Don, like, like the Donald, like, like the, the subreddit for Donald Trump. Like, what is this, like, an allusion to? I, I, thought, to the I thought they've referenced right? him, like, as actually his name being Don, like Donald, yeah. They did this this episode. I don't. Okay, yeah. I don't remember it before, but yeah, no. <laughs> I, I really hope it's just like a self applied nickname. It definitely is. Oh yeah, it's just you know, convenient. <laughs> <laughs> just so like unimaginative. Like you know, we've got the Craig, the Dylan, and the Sean here. <laughs> <laughs> the Sean, yeah, it's got a it's got a ring. Let's to it. go with the Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I would like that to be my Chiron. (laughs) Just have have yours be the shot and mine will be a Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sean, did you have any other updates or any other highlights? Um, Yeah. I mean, mostly questions. Um, Yeah. I like, I feel like the beach scene into the restaurant is really the meat of it for me. Um, But yeah, I'm just like very curious about like uh, Ariana and Katie's sandwich empire that they're starting. Um, My first thing, as soon as they go in there and they're like, you know, envisioning the decor, have they done anything food wise yet? Or are they just doing decor? Because this feels very much like... Yeah, they don't have, like, an established menu yet. They know that, like, sandwiches is the thing, and they've got some way of, like, branding the sandwiches. But um, we got in the preview for the next episode that Katie's going to be going to Lisa Vanderpump's house to work on the sandwiches for some reason. She's doing it there. Um, And that's where, where, like, Ken toddles out and drops the the bombshell. Yeah, (laughs) Um, which... Very salacious. Uh, what's Ken's deal? Is he like just <laughs> old? <laughs> okay, so Lisa Vanderpump used to have a dog named Jiggy. Um, I, I and... remember that from Beverly Hills because I remember Ken okay. saying something along the lines of uh, "They love his beautiful clothes and his beautiful face" or something like that. Yeah, that's so tattooed in when. My brain. Jiggy was dying. Said that, like, they swapped brains <laughs> between Jiggy and Ken. And so Ken has Jiggy's brain now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I, I definitely got vibes in that scene of like, oh, these are like vision restaurateurs and not like 
you know, like owner operator chef style. Yeah. So I think that, yes, that's true. Like in relation to other people within the, the restaurant industry, but in relation to uh, their partners, our former partners, Sandoval and Schwartz, they are definitely like in the trenches, like serious mm. business owners relative yeah. to what these guys are to, doing, like goofing around with. Them. Yeah, sometimes Sandoval Lisa wears short. shows up to a work site with a pink hard hat on, so she means business. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of allusions to Sandoval and Schwartz being like like failures of some kind. They've opened a bar. What does James say? The quarter of Silver Lake. I didn't make a note oh, of what yeah. he said. I can't but, remember what his line was. Like some yeah. Silver Lake Pooh Village or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which it isn't even. It's in like old Hollywood. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I get the sense that they like are running something into the ground. Well, they have been like struggling to get this place open. So they've got a bar called Tom Tom which is open and they are like like super minority partners in the restaurant and like Ken and Lisa and their like business team handle most of it um and then so they wanted to like kind of break out from under Lisa Vanderpump and start their own thing where they're majority owners and that's uh Sandy and Schwartz's or Schwartz and Sandy's and uh, that's what they have been struggling to get up and running. So it's in this like okay. strip mall, which from what I gather, everything in LA is a strip mall. Um, uh, yeah. And so they have been, they've had this like lease that they've been paying into while they've been trying to get off the ground and um, delay after delay is, is causing it to just not open. Where does their money come from? Well, they're TV stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like so. a new new ride at like uh, Bravo Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to a Bravo theme park. Actually, on that note. <laughs> uh, did you have any other questions about the show that uh, you had written down? Uh, I mean, I'm mostly very curious about production. Like, is this single camera? First of all, no, okay. no, for sure. There's, there's multiple cameras. Um, and then just like how, like, it feels very much to me, like there's something just outside of frame that's pushing things like pushing situations into happening. So like, if you look at, um, like, for example, in the restaurant scene where, um, at one point, uh, like James is clearly loud mic'd because he's talking to Katie, and then later when it cuts, he's not mic'd up anymore because they know maybe they know they don't need him or something. You could just kind of pick him up um, in like chatter. So, how will like what's the how does a production thing work of an on an episode? Are they like saying okay now it's time for Katie and Schwartz to have an argument? So. Let's mic them up and get them in a room and like remind them like, yeah. So they, they will like, um, they won't go that far. Like if there's an event happening, they will let it play out. And, you know, it's your responsibility as someone who wants to stay on the cast to be able to kind of know what to do with 
probably some coaching from like uh, an associate producer beforehand. And um, cause each of them will have like an associate producer or someone that is like um, who functions as kind of like their, their handler for, right. you know, the, the duration of, of the season. Um, but it's kind of your job to, you know, gather the information that you can and use it in a way that, you know, makes for effective television and to, you know, um, manage your own position within the social hierarchy that you're uh, oscillating in as, which is basically just all these shows are you're jockeying positions and, you know, uh, oscillating from like good guy to bad guy and, and, and back again. Um, it's almost more like but, hyper-real TV. Mm. Can yeah, have, like, I mean, reality is definitely, like, um, a misnomer. Like, it's, it's in this case, at least, in the case of Bravo shows, it is not necessarily an accurate description of, you know, this uninterrupted reality. But, it, like, I mean, it's not a documentary. But it is this like real narrative and the people that are like on the cast and engaging in this, they do like there are actual like real stakes. So it, it does have that that's grounded in reality. Like Tom Sandoval is probably, well, maybe not, but he's like potentially taking a hit in business to his restaurants because his reputation is in the tank because of the, the Scandoval that has happened. Um, so there are, I wasn't like, familiar with Scandoval. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there are like actual stakes and these people are mindful about, you know, actual real world consequences of their actions. So in that sense, it, it differs from, you know, a fictional narrative, uh, uh, construct, but um, there, there's obviously like clear influences from production. Yeah. But I like think the fact that there are like, bit. yeah, I think the fact that there are still like real world consequences to your business, your reputation, um, you know, your job on on the show, your um, relationships too. Yeah, your relationships like that. That all that all factors in. Yeah, because there's that scene with like Lala and Katie, I think, where they're even talking about um, maybe it's Ariane and no, Raquel's reputation online, and they're showing like Twitter or Instagram screenshots, but like how those real consequences come out. Yeah, it just it feels yeah. to me like just like real people and real interpersonal dramas that get a little bit tweaked up and like found in the edit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of like finding it in the edit and like, like, uh, stringing together bits and pieces in order to like, weave a story together. And if something comes out later this season, trying to like, dive into the footage and pull out things that you can use to sort of build the backstory for this. Um, I think that's where you really see the, um, the artistic merit of a producer or a editor really shine in a way that you don't see in, you know, other more traditional narrative, uh, narrative canvases. But you mentioned that you were not familiar with the term Scandoval. Um, so I want to like kind of get into that because that has been the big 
bombshell that has blown up the the Bravo sphere this this year. Um, so, uh, did you do any sort of research into Vanderpump Rules this season before diving into no, the episode? No, I wanted to go in totally cold. So okay, I've only seen episode twelve. Okay, so this episode we're starting to get the the hints of like what is going to what what eventually blew up. Um so after like season four of this season had aired, it came to light that Tom Sandoval had actually been sleeping with Raquel for like um like eight months or something like that. Um and Ariana found out and everything just like blew up kind of off camera. So they rushed production or apparently they rushed production back in to, you know, capture the, the fallout of this all blowing up. Um, and that's kind of the, that's what has been labeled like Scandoval because okay. uh, Tom Sandoval and Ariane had been together for like eight or nine years at that point. Yeah, and they they really plant the seeds like all through this episode because even when the Toms are going to the food truck, which by the way they are delightfully corny to that uh, food truck employee. <laughs> <laughs> We're first timers. We're excited. Um, <laughs> like, because even in that right, uh, drummer Tom, I, I keep on calling him <laughs> Schwartz, <clears throat> is saying stuff like, "Ah, oh, you know, like I don't know. I just feel like Raquel's got a crush on someone else." Oh, that was my other standout, by the way. In that scene when um, Sandoval's talking about, they're having like the most, and it depresses me that they're forties because I was gonna call it the most like nineteen-year-old guy conversation. With <laughs> like I really love her, and I want to. Sh- I show her to her every day. I give her this. I don't remember exactly what he says. It's some kind of latte. I give her a latte. He's a day. dumpling latte. Yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think it's a dumpling <laughs> latte. <laughs> You're a dumpling it's latte like, every does morning. Does she reciprocate? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that moment too because it's like you know whenever a, a couple is squabbling, it's always both people always feel like they're giving more than they're getting. That's like, I think that the root always of it, but the fact that the only example he can pull is, is I make her a latte in the morning often. <laughs> like you're making a really weak case, but, um, but, but of course Schwartz is, you know, going to be the good buddy and going to be like, wow. And does she reciprocate Tom? Have you thought about it? Like, well, that's the thing. The, the one like most sustainable long-term relationship on the show is between the two toms and uh it's not entirely wholesome because a lot like a lot of dudes relationships it's mostly founded on like justifying each other's worst most toxic behaviors (laughs) (laughs) but in this episode you really see how like that's kind of the one relationship that that really does have a real substance in the show both in like schwartz really playing ball to like let sandoval feel like you know you're seen your struggles in your relationship are seen with the dumpling latte thing man that's rough dude when he goes with him for his jizz results like that's, exactly yeah, that that's too. and the way he jumps in the call to talk to ariana to kind of like be like but you know what it's actually great yeah. too the morphology is not a big deal you know <laughs> you keep wearing those tight jeans <laughs> yeah and then later on you see sandoval like when he's confronting katie which he, he's been doing a lot of and he kind of like gets down to the fact like you know what the the way that tom schwartz talks about you and the way you talk about him like it's like not on on equal terms and he's like gets kind of emotional about that too and then that's you know another example of sandoval being they're like you know i got my bros back too at the same time so they've got that one like like 
internally healthy relationship in the sense that they sustain each other. <laughs> the, the, the results are often just like promoting uh, what shitty people they, they are, yeah, as everybody on the show is. Oh, that's a foundation that's a, on a really, bridge to a bad neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting that you kind of like bring up that relationship as, you know, being um, so stable on, on this show because like I can't think of any other dynamic between, you know, um, you know, that kind of like toxic codependent, like prop each other up and enable each other's like toxic traits that, um, you see on, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, as just a dude, I, you know, I've seen that and sure. like yeah. you you know i think everyone has seen that and like kind of been in something that resembles that kind of dynamic you know maybe not to the extent that the toms do but um you know just like that dynamic as like a straight guy that friendship i like i immediately recognize that and that's not yeah. something that you really see highlighted to the degree that um you don't see that anywhere else on on bravo at least yeah. um maybe to an extent sometimes on southern charm though not so much but um i don't yeah, get that sense from new jersey certainly yeah oh i can't wait to get into this episode of new jersey but i think like new jersey is a little bit different i think like um, one of the things that I like about, um, you know, about reading satire or science fiction is the way that they take like real world issues or like um, problems or dynamics or whatever and um, just like crank the dial up in order to explore it, you know, um, very like plainly and um I think that the relationship between Tom Sandoval and Tom Schwartz is an example of like reality TV doing that because like mm -hmm. I haven't been in like a like a dude friendship that has been that level of, you know, feeding into the toxicity but you know, I do recognize traits of that. So, um yeah, I I really like that you bring that up because I think that you know, that kind of highlights how reality TV can function in the same way that like really good satire can and really good mm -hmm. science fiction can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like to bring it back to Dylan's Freudian analysis. It's just two straight guys really engaging in the id. Yeah. <laughs> Upholding each other's id. Yeah. <laughs> Grabbing each other by the id. <laughs> <laughs> uh awesome well uh dylan what were your highlights from this episode um i liked when ali says like you know it's really hard for me to adjust to this group because in my friend group if you break up with somebody you never see them and never talk <laughs> to them again and i'm like ali that's because your friend group is high school like how old are you <laughs> <laughs> seriously she's hanging out with a bunch of 40 year olds and she's like well in my experience what's your experience come on like you're not, you're not talking about some people who called themselves twin flames because they gave each other hand jobs for a month after gym class you're talking about 
people have been married for the better part of a decade. Yeah. <laughs> you try to make new friends in your 40s, yeah. 30s and 40s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why That's why they're all hanging out together. Because they're 40. They don't know how to make new friends. They can only know how to lose them. <laughs> Uh, but yeah the whole thing like like you said sean starting at the beach and leading to all those confrontations in the restaurants was amazing it was everybody got so raw too like it was like people were getting really like their emotions were surface level really i don't know what's going on must be the santa Ana wind or something but it was no it was the sun la was in a heat wave there you go. There you go. See, it's, it's those ions <laughs> in the air. That's what that is. Uh, but um, I did like as much as, um, you know, to circle back to James briefly, briefly this time, I, <laughs> uh, uh, who I don't like. I did think he had a really funny episode. He was a really funny Kate, guy. Just just yeah. before you get into it, let's keep in mind that his his first house was in Sagittarius or Venus was in Sagittarius. So um, give him a little bit of a pass on this episode. Does that mean uh, Pluto is going to go into his Uranus? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I, I just feel like, um, even if even if you're comparing it to Jax, Jax is a piece of shit, but I thought Jax has a little bit more like reflection and enough of depth. What? Yes, I, I I think I think that Jax was like actually thinking about his life a little bit, where oh, I think James no. doesn't have that capability. I think he's just what? like two bitty eyes and a flappy mouth. No, <laughs> I, I, I will bet you James is very much an in the moment type of person who like maybe his life doesn't. He seem has real been to him. planning for years and years to get to a point where he's opening for Cascade. He's opening for Cascade. <laughs> I did like how like how yeah how rawly emotional he was at that insult, which by the way was a good insult by Top Schwartz. It was a good laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the confrontation between them was just really funny. And I just like how you get a little preview of it when like Brock is throwing them uh, the ball on the beach when they do the little top gun bit and they're both like just fucking terrible at it. And then uh, <laughs> then the transition into this like you know clash of the wieners who are just like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> and just the, the way like schwartz can't respond to the drink being thrown in his face beyond being like this you know the standard like if, well if, if you were to do it again it would be different <laughs> i put, put you in a headlock yeah yeah <laughs> if you put me in a headlock i'd be out of it in two seconds you're not stronger or faster than me <laughs> <laughs> so great and then james uh james fucking getting spl- getting strong in the eye and panicking and running out and falling and, and they'd be like oh no it was like a 150 proof alcohol and the waitress is like i think that's water <laughs> yes. it was so amazing and james just being like you know, he, he was he was starting in a strong position there, but then he, he's such a baby too. The way that he like starts calling for Lorlor to come like save him and be like, Lorlor, back me up here. And then she comes in and is like, Yeah, so I think what she did was weirdly out of line, but did you say bot? Ah, she said bot. You know, you don't have my back. <laughs> I don't understand how you can give such like a this like glowing endorsement of of james and still like maintain your position of not liking him (laughs) a lot of it has to do with the accent (laughs) it is insufferable but he's just an insufferable man he's just very grating but he was hilarious Mm -hmm. this episode so i will give him that that was actually a very 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 funny showing uh from him 
<laughs> I I really so, enjoyed how James like like basically set Lala up for like a layup when he was like it's like oh their ego's as big as my cock and she's like oh yeah so so really small and he's like uh, yeah right and seemed like <laughs> genuinely like cut by it yeah <laughs> like, he just like, she's, like served up to it like yeah, he, she's like, like yeah. came back for more right yeah be <laughs> comfortable okay. <laughs> I also love the awkwardness uh, in that scene of it's clearly like daytime and James orders a cocktail and Lala's just like sparkling water. Yeah. <laughs> like this whole show runs on a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Well, oh, the thing is yeah. James has been like claiming that he's quitting drinking f- since the, he appeared on the show. He says that Lala actually has routine. quit drinking. Oh, I'm never drinking again. He says that Ali. every episode. <laughs> well, you As they're like drinking water out of like an old vinegar, vinegar bottle well, in their bed. A gallon of water like by your bed. You're not quit drinking. Like, you have a routine now. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, I think that 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 covers enough for for me. But tons of great stuff, great episode, lots of fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's let's dive into the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Um, Sean, how was your like dipping your toe into Real Housewives again? What was that like for you? Uh, it, it was magical. I loved it. Um, it <laughs> took me a bit. Like I didn't realize that I knew um, like Teresa and. And Melissa Intel probably halfway through the first time I watched the episode. Um, oh yeah, and then it clicked like, oh yeah, Joe Judas or whatever. And yeah. the thing about her going to jail, I think, jogged yeah. my memory. <laughs> um, She's an icon. Like I feel like Teresa is. If you say Real Housewives, like she's got to be in the top three names like, that you think of. Yeah, she's like kind of like a like a Dwayne Johnson, like maybe with beyond <laughs> the Bravo a little bit. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> question on that: What What is the reference to that that one part of the mural where they call it an iconic moment? And just like <laughs> that, I wasn't uh, familiar see, with. Yeah. So, season one of Real Housewives of New Jersey, like she like flipped up a table in in the finale episode, okay. and so like you might see like some memes of her like flipping a table over. It's a pretty like iconic image. Um. Yeah, kind of a strange choice for Jen, but also <laughs> it is like a very iconic moment. So, you know, it did wow. elevate her to be like that. That's what like started her shooting star on the trajectory that it's it's been okay. on. And then I, I don't know if I have the name. Is it Melissa is like her sister-in-law or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So does that mean that stoned Joe Gorga is Teresa's brother? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, if I can go into that scene of the the dudes, at, it's like eight guys named Joe. Yeah, um, <laughs> and they're all wearing like fresh white tees. Uh, it was really it's like a nice examination of my own prejudice because they're starting that scene and i was like this is a room full of men that i like would make me severely uncomfortable to be in but then they all get super baked and are just eating like fried food out of to-go containers and joe is like playing with that really like muscly guy's arm vein yeah yeah so so wholesome and i think the last line they cut on that little scene is like joe Joe Gorga saying that the girls aren't having this much fun and like he couldn't be more right like it's just so perfect yeah. <laughs> um, and even in that like you could tell because there, there's something going on with 
Danielle and someone else, right? Like it's called someone a rat. And they, yeah. they're like, they, they kind of start that drama with the husbands, I guess, like Danielle's husband and someone else like, oh, your wife yeah. called my wife a rat. But they're just all way too baked to do anything. So it seems like it just withers <laughs> on the vine. Uh, I really think, love yeah, that. that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up. Like the husband's kind of trying to start that up because um, like the husband dynamic is something that doesn't exist on other Real Housewives shows. So, mm-hmm. and get both Danielle and Rachel are like brand new housewives to this series. And like these house husbands have been on the show for a long time. And the fact that, you know, uh, no one else in the group like bites on it and just like lets it drop. They, they do a really good job. I think of kind of like, taking the lead from from the other guys in the group it's like no that's that's not what we need to do here we need to just like get baked get like super pumped about this food truck that has shown up which is like awesome by the way i would love that um why did they need to go containers if it was parked on their property (laughs) yeah i was kind of wondering about that too so wait (laughs) long (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to go inside the house because it's the worst house to be high in. Yeah. You see the leopards <laughs> come to I life. I see snakes. Yeah, loved the loved the husband scene. Um, I'm a huge fan of of Irish Peter um, and how he's just like carrying a drill around for most of the time. Um, oh, yeah. I like if you pick up on them, like his first when he goes to meet them, he's like pointing a power drill at them, and it's just sort of there. <laughs> um, there's one little bit in that farm. Se- also, I did not know they were on, in Ireland until like nine minutes into the episode when they actually <laughs> mention it. I was like, oh, it's like St. Patrick's Day, and they're just all like partying. Uh, there's this one little bit that I think is like clever editing where. Uh, it's just audio over B-roll of one of the housewives is like, oh, how old's the farm? And Peter's like, oh, the farm's 200 years old. And then then it cuts to one of the housewives that could be totally later being like, we're loving the culture. <laughs> 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 really choice. Um, I mean, most of the things I've written down are just like snippets of audio. I love Margaret's uh, outfit for the whiskey tasting. I thought that was oh, yeah. fabulous. That like <laughs> I'll, I'll tool skirt that, yeah. and like diaphanous blouse. Yeah. And the hair clip that says feelings. <laughs> um, um, speaking like of outfits, I feel like like we need to mention the uh, Jen Fessler's outfit at the start of this episode, which was like uh, kind of the focus of the the tail end of the last episode. I was watching the tail end of the last episode uh, when I was like, I was sitting in the the Minneapolis airport uh, waiting for a flight, and like the way that they were like focusing on everyone, like taking like cell phone photos of her boobs and like her cleavage, it was like very uncomfortable for me like just being like ah oh, it's it's not what it looks like this is real housewives I'm, that was a guilty pleasure right not a perv not a perv my favorite outfit of the episode that, that's when he pulls out your notebook and be like yeah <laughs> sorry sketching my favorite outfit um sorry what's her name Jen Fessler yeah Fessler yeah because her I was just like Margaret's friend uh my favorite outfit is when they're going to jump in the bog 
Um, actually, I have a screen grab that I took of it that I'll send you later, but it's just like, I think it cuts to her going like, oh my God, but she's wearing like, she's got some kind of, I don't know if it's a shirt she's like made into a headscarf or a big bonnet thing and just like yoga wear, but that's my favorite <laughs> outfit of hers. She's, it's a frame that lasts for like, or a, it's a few frames, right? It's a few seconds, but it's just like choice. I also feel like she uh, is trying to get on the show because she is like really going for lines she, yeah she's a bit try hard uh you missed last week when she dropped some some info she uh she slept with james gandolfini um so she's got that going for her before he died um presumably yeah the one that got away yeah, she, uh, I think she actually says that at one point. She, yeah, she, she probably shouldn't have traumatized his cock so much. Uh, yeah, I feel like she was. Um, again, it's probably all like alcohol related, but she's re- like trying to get her camera moments, like when they're in the whiskey tasting thing and the dinner, and she keeps leaning over to. Is it the other gen, maybe? I really like what we've going on. Just like always has something yeah. to, to add. Yeah, yeah right. The, the gens were seated together. Yeah. Yeah, she's got real stand up comedian vibes. She's a. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she almost. She, I mean, she's like the Jewish one, too. That's kind of part of her thing. She almost has like a prop cigar sometimes when she's talking. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> the thing about that is, guys, yeah, she's <laughs> very like cat skills. Yeah, like, like cat skills club comic. Just wearing like a shabby suit of tails, shuffling around. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, the other, the the one other like line that is just repeating in my head is again from the mural scene. Um, Melissa paints like the that wonderful red bordered Italian flag and the stick figure family, <laughs> and she's like getting emotional. But she just the line that sticks out to me is, "It's just so sad to me that this is a family." <laughs> and that's the whole thought, and I don't know what that means. But that's what's so great about like these 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 Italians with their 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 strong but very delicate family roots. You can anybody can just say the word family in this group, and at least three women will spontaneously start crying. Yeah, but yeah it's like Danielle um, has that whole thing. I don't yeah, know what yeah. something is going on with Some, her. It's, it's with her brother. brother yeah. yeah. If yeah. these if these women went to see like a Fast and the Furious movie, they would just be like dissolved into a puddle of tears on the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, like, um, I want to see a reality show about Irish Peter's life outside of work. Because, like, again, so I, I've spent a lot of my life working in like service industry and often serving um, excited groups of like housewife types who are maybe doing a, a hen party or whatever. And the vibe I get from Peter is like, um, like if I had to work in the Canadian themed restaurant from gremlins Two, <laughs> I would, I would probably have like a kind of a bleak life outside of that. And I just really want to see what Peter's life is like. I want to spin off. Of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's not fun to have to fill up the fish right at their table. <laughs> <laughs> love that line of that movie <laughs> but also a, a very pro move from from peter to bring out a puppy when he sees somebody sad he's just kind of ready to go just kind of it's like <laughs> yeah. his back pocket just like, <laughs> like, just oh, like somebody's crying to have to whip this, out the yeah, this makes them feel better <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people like puppies 
<laughs> and he's right it worked <laughs> oh yeah of course how's it not gonna work <laughs> um i mean I, this, this should be obvious i have to ask though what did Teresa go to jail for uh it was tax fraud so okay um, apparently it was like joe judas's fault he was filing false returns or something like that but yeah she spent 11 months in prison another uh, joe for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah. i mean i was uh, obviously jumping juicy to... joe a juicy Ooh. one <laughs> <laughs> i was like hoping it was going to be kind of a mobbed up thing but Mm, no. yeah it's like i i she was the That's first housewife to go to the tax go to jail charges. but i like it's not as um not as like hard as jen shaw who is now the second housewife to go to jail who is in jail also for fraud but she was like defrauding seniors on those like phone scams she uh oh. you know those calls that you get yeah so she ran like a pyramid she was the head honcho of of that and uh, yeah, now now Good she's in jail. Apparently, putting on a play called "Real Housewives of Brian," and Brian is the facility that she's in. So, um, hoping that we get to see clips of that somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, because like, like smuggled cell phone footage of that. Yeah, <laughs> Bravo's got to own the rights to that, right? <laughs> yeah, they own put on. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dylan, what about you? What uh, what were your highlights? Um, I, I loved uh, Jen Aiden in this episode. I thought she was amazing. I thought it was a great, yeah. great episode for her. I, I need to return to the mural drawing because it was like my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I loved how they show her after she, she drew this, this this sketch of Angry Teresa, like kind of like admiring her work. And she kind of like gets into the character and does a little rah, sign, kind of feeling the emotion. And then just like very like self-satisfied and confidently nodding and be like, yes, the energy is there. And she put hers on like a different part of the wall so like it stands on its own yeah like, this is where <laughs> and, my work and remains totally proud of it even though everybody else is like you misread the assignment Jen. that's not what we're supposed to be doing <laughs> and it's just like uh, <laughs> cannot be knocked off her her her, uh, her pedestal there she's just so proud of her work and she's, she has right to be it was a beautiful beautiful drug <laughs> it was interesting because like out of almost anyone else in the cast that probably would have set Teresa off. Like it would have been seen as, you know, a dig and like, she was even crying before they started painting yeah. about, you know, these girls might draw like prison bars and like use this as an opportunity to roast me. And I like, I think, you know, that was kind of uh, whether intentional or not a smart move by Teresa to, you know, shut down the opportunity for anyone to, um, really you know use it to take a swipe at her um and i guess like uh jen doing that was you know uh maybe good she knew that like she's in good enough with with teresa like she could do something like it's this kind of a risky move lifehearted yeah, just because is. she's trying to court like Teresa's friendship, and like you said, after Teresa's like, please don't draw bars. O- only she's like, <laughs> yeah, she, she, she's just all going for it, and I just think it's she's a true artist. Her her art trumps her strategy <laughs> here. And, and I also love how Teresa seems to be making a conscious effort not to look at it, but she's like, don't really care for that one. It's like keeping her head turned away. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Uh, and also when when uh, when Jen just gets like keeling over drunk during the whiskey tasting, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really, it's like she's just adorable. It's just very very cute this episode. And, and but also like that's what I would do too at a whiskey tasting. Like what's good? The guy there, I, I do like the trope of having like an expert come in and like show the housewife stuff. You know, sometimes they kind <laughs> yeah. of get in the character and they'd be like, Oh, it's showtime. I'm on TV. Like, let's, let's crack some jokes, ladies. Am I right? And this guy just seemed like impatient with them. Just like <laughs> he couldn't get out of there fast enough. Oh, yeah. He was just like, I'm done with these fucking Americans. I don't want to do this. Change your plate. Cilantro gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, like, why are you pouring out, like, like eight ounces of whiskey per person or whatever, and then just being like, take a little sip off the top and throw the rest in a glass? What, yeah. What's the deal with that? But I, get, I get that it's like the sideways thing where it's like you're supposed to just slosh it around in your mouth and spit it out. You know, the, the rest of the glass is for show or whatever. But that's probably like very expensive whiskey, I assume. That's the point of the testing, tasting, right? So it's like high quality stuff. Why even pour out that much if you're just... Alluding anyways. to a, a Paul Giamatti movie is a very serious thing in Italian families. So be careful. Oh, <laughs> shit. And that, that's going to be... That's, they're going to read that as, as a slur. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret will come for me on that one, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'll I'll just say that like I would absolutely finish those shots, even if I didn't want to, even if I didn't want to be drunk, I would be like, I'm not wasting this, I'm drinking it, um, <laughs> and uh, and was just uh, was just uh, having a good time. That was a lot of fun. Oh, and I loved when she was drunk and Danielle starts talking, and she's a wor- worried that Danielle's going to give out her secret before. Uh, she oh, has the chance yes. to use it strategically and well like you could just see her like kind of peering through the fog of drunkenness being like oh oh god <laughs> do i have to do something to stop this oh fuck <laughs> what, what is like what's going on with danielle and i think it's margaret they yeah like, so have, something there at the end right yeah, so mostly the beef, the the main beef is between like Jan and Margaret. Margaret is very concerned because Jan has talked to one of Margaret's like former friends and is I guess kind of building up an arsenal of her own. But she knows that uh Margaret has like told this friend of hers that uh Melissa Gorga was apparently seen um getting out of the back of a limo and or making out with some some other guy and so this is this like little piece of like bombshell information that just margaret had but now jen has the information that margaret has like disseminated this to to someone else um so that's where the tension is but on this trip last episode or the episode prior um Jen let Danielle know the, this information. So okay. um, that's why she was worried that it was going to come out and she'd have to like, you know, um, be like activated when she was like way too drunk to handle that, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's like the bomb waiting to go off in this season, I think is that yeah, piece right. of information. Yeah. So it feels like they sort of constructed around one or two, like really big deal conflicts they just build up to like a, a season you mean yeah uh like it, it kind of or... depends okay yeah i mean ideally there's something that is going to 
kind of grab the attention outside of the the fandom in a way that Scandival has. But I'd say that that's like exceedingly rare that that mm. would happen. Um, usually there is like, yeah, one or two kind of like major within the scope of the show uh, conflicts or um, just storylines that kind of drive the action through the series. Um, and then I guess like, like a lot wedding is probably a big thrust. Yeah. Balance, right? So yeah. So that's like in general, if a housewife is getting married or like a, like someone on the cast is getting married, that will be used as kind of a vehicle for a lot of the conflict. And to an extent it is happening on this season um that's mostly just because melissa gorga is always kind of grasping at teresa for storylines so she is using being left out of the the wedding party as you know the major slight against her and and joe that's kind of driving things Um, that explains the close-up when teresa says something about wanting people to be in the wedding (laughs) (laughs) how she she implies she's inviting her to the wedding and be like i just feel like i want you guys to somehow be involved in the wedding (laughs) like are you inviting her to the wedding well no but i i want peace That's so funny. Theory would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they are invited. They're just not in the wedding party. Yeah, it's not part like, of it. the big right. thing. Yeah, and you could almost feel like Melissa's nervousness at like you know Teresa having this like very like emotional moment and platform and like sh- this is the perfect opportunity if she wants to invite Melissa. Like this would only go over well for Teresa to like. Yeah extend that olive brand and this is like the perfect end to that story and Teresa could use that as an out she doesn't Mm -hmm. need to but she could Mm -hmm. um you could almost feel like Melissa being nervous like okay well like what else am I going to bring to the table if yeah Melissa doesn't want that Melissa doesn't yeah no Melissa and Joe definitely do not want that yeah they're they that's they're their leverage. In, yeah, they're entrenched in dragging this out as a as a conflict. Uh, so yeah, that would you're right. Melissa would almost be panicked if Teresa was like, "I want you at their wedding party," because that's not what yeah, she wants. In a situation where she can't really say no, like yeah. she's kind of like, yeah. you know, it's like okay, she has like she's kind of like built this um, this you know sub story where it's like oh, okay i recognize the value of family we're in like a, a good place there's a point earlier in the episode where you know Teresa even acknowledges the fact that like melissa was really good with her parents like she's like oh yeah mm-hmm. they were already always she was always really good um so i feel like melissa was kind of like in an under or uh a, a position where she like she basically couldn't say no and still hold any sort of leverage. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that, you know, Teresa was like, ah, well, no, I'm not actually asking you to be in (laughs) the wedding. Like, I don't know whether that's like Teresa being like a savvy housewife and being like, we still need conflict. Or if that is her just being like, no, I legitimately like don't actually want you guys in in the wedding. Um, But either way, I, I think like, for a, a viewer that is, you know, the the outcome that we, you know, could hope for for an interesting season. 
Mm. Yeah. So like, Teresa and Melissa have had something for a long time, I take it. Yeah, since since the beginning. I think like Melissa joined the cast like season three of New Jersey, so she's been on there for ten years at this point now, but it's always like at the root of it been like a conflict between like families. That's kind of the core of what New Jersey is. And it's interesting, like I don't think there's any other franchise that has the same sort of like uh I might have mentioned this on the last episode, but like the fans really like draw battle lines, uh, whether you're like uh, one of Melissa's fans, or if you're on Teresa's side and you're like a tree hugger as uh, <laughs> Teresa fans call. But like, I don't think that there's any other housewives where people will like align themselves with and entrench themselves with like that camp more than New Jersey. And like New Jersey is like a, a popular housewives franchise, but like it is not the most popular franchise. It's like, you know, it's in the upper half of popularity, but like none of the other very popular real housewife franchises have that sort of like allegiance. So it's really interesting to see that dynamic, you know, come off of the screen and play out within the fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan, did you have any other highlights from this episode? No, that about covers the the main bits. Awesome. I think we talked about pretty much everything that I was hoping to talk about on this episode as well. Um, awesome. Well, I was very stoked to have you on here, Sean. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you and follow you? Um, I'm Sean's haircut. Uh, my Instagram's private. I probably won't approve you, but you can follow me on Letterboxd if you want one sentence joke reviews of the movies I watch. Um, I don't know. As a plug, if you feel safe and comfortable doing it, go see live music and comedy and movies in independent theaters. <laughs> I don't produce anything myself, so awesome. Or uh, remove one plug from next week's guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, uh, Dylan. How about yourself? Uh, as usual, you can find back episodes of my horror movie podcast, uh, Mind Over Splatter, and I uh, write about movies on Substack. Awesome. Uh, I'm Craig Midwinter. This has been Bravo Outsider. You can find us online at bravooutsider.com. We're on Instagram at Bravo Outsider, on TikTok at Bravo Outsider, and on YouTube. Uh, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week, keep on wifing. Keep on wifing. Oh, it's Ravinsky.